space crashes in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks, using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Maybe you're sitting in traffic, maybe you're doing chores. Whatever the case, we're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our sponsor this week, Brooklinen. They're bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops and consoles and also games that involve dice, luck and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who's technically still just a demo, Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, everyone. I'll also, I will run for president as a Republican in 2020. Like, I... I've worked in politics a little bit. I'm a former attorney. I'm just throwing it out there. Like, if there is enough interest, mm, I, I'm a great a prim- public speaker. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's hours and hours and hours of audio of me on this podcast. I'm sure I never say anything that would get me in trouble. Uh, mm. All right. <laughs> you know, I, no skeletons go- in these closets. I'm sure my two stand-up albums, I'm sure have the first one, I'm sure, has aged very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I will support you, I guess. Uh my voice went up at the end. I didn't intend it to. I just uh, just sort of did. Um, we got we got uh, we got a show for you, folks. We got a we got a good one. Uh, lots to talk about in news. Some exciting games. Big new releases. Twenty nineteen starting hot. Coming in hot. Twenty nineteen with some big game demos, with some big game releases, and we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week, oh man, I'm excited because DLC stands for Dissecting Leisure Culture, because we have the managing editor at Feminist Frequency, Carolyn Pettit, joins us for the first time. Hey, Carolyn. Hey, hi. Thanks for having me. It's such a thrill to be here. Oh, it's a thrill to have you. I'm excited. I've listened to you and read your work for years and years, and uh, I'm excited to have you on the show. And we got a lot to discuss for sure. Awesome. Let's get to it. Let's jump right in and start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Lots of cool folks there hanging out. Good community. I I recommend joining. Um, Carolyn, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? For for me, definitely no story has been more like thought provoking and fascinating and exciting than uh, Nintendo's big big announcement that they are basically scrapping all the work that they have done on Metroid Prime Four yeah. and are starting over, but you know, crucially, starting over with the involvement, the leadership, I think, of retro studios. Um, You know, I just think Nintendo is in such a fascinating place with this, uh, with this franchise and with this announcement, because um, 
I mean, if, you know, if say Naughty Dog tomorrow were to come out and be like, hey guys, you know, we're, we, we realize we're just really not feeling all the work and development we've done on, on The Last of Us 2 up to this point. And really, we got to just scrap everything we've done and just start building it over from the ground up and reconceptualize it and everything. That would be like a serious blow, I think, like PR wise and just like for, for our gamer excitement and everything. But, but I don't know. There's something about this specific announcement. The way that Nintendo was able to to sort of sweeten it, <laughs> you know, sweeten the bad news by saying, but Retro Studios, which, you know, I mean, created the original trilogy. And obviously, I mean, at least from my perspective, you know, are still totally on top of their game given uh, like Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, which I think is like a, a platforming masterpiece. Um, you know, it... it it just it's that weird announcement that's like yeah it's sad it's frustrating it's a blow but i also almost feel like in the long term it may make people even more excited about the game because they know that retro studios is involved i think you you framed it exactly right i mean it is it's so interesting how they mitigated that bad news with news that makes you feel more excited somehow for the project uh i mean they they were like we we take a mulligan we're getting a do over uh, and it certainly seems like this game isn't coming out anytime soon, which is <laughs> right. another aspect I'd love to talk to both of you about is, is what does this, how does this change the Nintendo switch roadmap over the next few years? But, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that this usually is the kind of thing that you see, you know, the, uh, the internet culture just, just go nuts and, and start you know, uh, the sky is falling type type um, reactions to it. And the fact that they added in that tidbit of, hey, Retro's coming back and we are actually going to put far full faith in them, the people that made the first Metroid Prime, which was this huge uh, reimagining of the Metroid franchise in the first place. I'm genuinely excited. I think you're right. It's like this thing that should be bad news, but I'm like genuinely excited about it. It's amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, Christian, how about you? What, what's your take on this news? I agree with what both of you said. What I'd want to add to that is I feel a little bad for the other studio or developers that were working on this game. I feel like it's, you know, sports or whatever you're into. For me, let's say it's sports and whatever, whoever my team is, you know, I'm watching the World Series this past year and I'm rooting for the the Dodgers the whole time. Or I guess that's a bad example because they lost. But like, uh, <laughs> let's go two years ago, Astros Dodgers. And I was like, yeah, whoever wins, I'm happy. And I was like, oh, come on, Astros, you're so close when it was getting close. And I jumped on that bandwagon. And then I'm like, yeah, you did it. And then they show like the starting pitcher for the other team crying. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's it. That's a human who just yeah. had the worst day of their life. Oh, that's no. Oh, that's no good. Or like college sports or high school sports, too. You'll see like the kid at the track meet finish second and just be so upset as she's sitting there just like so close to what she had trained her whole career for or whatever. And I feel like while. It just, I don't know. I, I empathize for the other studio because we are all like, yes, retro, the good student, finally. So awesome. <laughs> Meanwhile, these other people, these men and women, were likely working very hard on something uh, they were passionate about. And to have that taken away, it seems like there could be something interesting there that comes out 10 years from now. Well, it's interesting. I, I wonder how far afield this project was trying to go from the established Metroid Prime formula. Hmm. Um we don't have any indication of, of what they were working on, if it was just sort of not coming together at a certain level or if maybe Retro had freed up somehow and they were able to fold them in. And we, we don't know the details at all, but 
I'm very curious if this game was going to look a lot different, was going to reimagine the franchise yet again, and they just decided not to do that, and they wanted to kind of bring a a more Mm -hmm. traditional Metroid Prime type game to the market. Hmm. Right. I mean, you know, I would I would hope that it wasn't that right, because I mean, obviously, with Breath of the Wild, you know, Nintendo kind of took a huge chance on this on the Zelda franchise. Right. It's this game that I think does away with a lot of stuff that had just gotten so sort of calcified Mm -hmm. in Zelda games and was just kind of bogging the, the franchise down. So. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a good point, and and my hope is not is not that retro will approach it as as like okay we have to set out to make like the most traditional you know like people's sort of idea of the ultimate like traditional Metroid Prime experience because um, I mean I love those games uh, but I would love to see I would love to see them take some chances mm-hmm. there too. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so what about that other question that I I briefly raised, which is it, it seems like Metroid Prime Four was going to be the tentpole Nintendo release either this year or next. And I would, I would suspect that if they're starting over at zero, it's going to be a, even farther off than, than a couple of years before we see Metro Prime 4 released. Carolyn, what do you think that means for Nintendo? I, I think it does put them in a, in a difficult, I mean, I, I imagine that they are, I mean, they're so smart about uh, the, how, how they leverage their properties. And I, I don't doubt at all that they are, you know, that they've already devised a game plan uh, or that they're currently really working on a game plan to, um, you know, figure out ways to, to give us the kinds of big announcements um, and big games, maybe, uh, maybe not quite Metroid Prime big, but still, uh, you know, marquee games um, in, in that window. Um, because I don't think they want to, you know, they, I'm sure they recognize the danger in going too long, you know, on the Switch without having that kind of uh, a really big, you know, Nintendo title support. But um, I mean, what could that be? I, you know, like, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I sort of have faith in them to figure out things that that are beyond my capacity to imagine or envision be, because um, I think that they're just as a, as a business, they, they're, they're, they've been really, really smart lately and um, they know what they're doing with the Switch. But um, it's, you know, it, it's certainly possible that it will it will create a bit of a slump or you know a bit of a, a bit of a drought yeah. uh, in the in the switch's uh future um i i can only hope that they that they have some kind of um a way of of mitigating that and um kind of you know maintaining the excitement about the switch itself um through th- up and up through the release of metroid prime 4 uh animal crossing yeah, and then is, Pokemon, is, right? We know there's a Pokemon, too. A, a Pokemon's in the horizon. And then there were rumors that Metroid Prime Trilogy was going to remaster, remake, <laughs> Switch Edition, was going to be announced at uh, Game Awards. There are also rumors that it's done, like ready to go. Doesn't it uh, seem like that would have been a, a good time to mention? If Metroid Prime 4, we're starting over, but here's well, a cool see, announcement. I don't, I don't know if that had been happened yet. That's my behind the scenes bold prediction is that they're like oh this game metro prime 4 is not far enough along yet to do uh here's trilogy here's a snippet of four here we go all aboard the hype train i think it was like oh four is running into some problems let's just talk about metroid right now we got enough cool stuff uh you know 
Smash is huge. We got this cool DLC character that's going to blow people's minds with Joker coming in and all this stuff. Uh, we got Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. They had enough stuff around Game Awards. And now I think this works as an E3 announcement like it's out. It's it's coming and it's out next week or it's coming and it's out now. And also here's the first trailer of in-game footage from Retro because there's also a rumor that Retro pitched um, um, Prime 4 to Nintendo with like a trailer or sizzle. So there's maybe footage that exists and you kind of create this one-two punch of a hype train and you love that. That looked great, right? Go play their games that lead up to this. It's available now. By the way, Animal Crossing is going to dominate this holiday. Next year, they got Pokemon proper. Yeah, that makes sense to me, and I certainly it certainly puts uh, all of the all of the the pole intent pole on uh, on Animal Crossing for 2019. It seems like that's the game in the same way that Super Smash Brothers was the game for them in 2018. Um, which paid off. I mean, Super Smash Brothers is just crushing it. The NPDs came out this week, and it's like insane. It's a, it's massive. It's like the biggest uh, single game of the year, and it was you know only out for a few weeks of the year. It's crazy. So yeah, they're doing something right. All right, Christian, what is your story of the week? My story of the week. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff, but I think to me the most interesting thing is uh, we haven't talked about yet is uh, Sebastian Steppen. Uh, apologies if I'm mispronouncing your last name. Cyberpunk 2077 creative director has left CD Projekt Red and joined Blizzard. And I think this is interesting for two things. One, Cyberpunk's not out yet. You maybe uh, Sebastian's work is done. Uh, kind of the haze in the barn. But two, this seems like very positive Blizzard news in a world in which there's been a lot of not positive Blizzard and Activision upper management shakeup of like, oh, they're, they have to rush games out. They don't get to be as creative. And here's someone who spent, you know, what the last twelve years, eight years working on. Uh, cyberpunk and if that person sees something interesting and passionate in blizzard to me that's a good sign it is a little odd that you would leave before the game is out but i i we don't know the inner workings of you know narrative and setting director may be a job that's completed well before the game ships um you know that's stuff that has to be in place early on in the in the production cycle so maybe you're right maybe he's just done uh, but it does seem weird, right? That if you work this long on a game at that high of a level, you know, being in charge of really the sort of spine of something to leave it before it crosses the finish line feels, feels a little odd to me, but maybe I don't know. For me, the big question th- that this story raises is what sort of, project or projects might he be working on Mm -hmm. at blizzard you know because when i think of when i think of the witcher 3 you know a game that i absolutely adored i think it's incredible you know but i think of uh you know an extremely and i imagine that cyberpunk will have some you know some of these virtues as well like just an extremely detailed world with like really really complex characters who have you know, intriguing, you know, multidimensional relationships with each other. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not exactly Blizzard, Diablo, right? <laughs> right. Like Blizzard's big on lore, but they're not big, uh, generally speaking, on like really complex characters and, and 
extreme levels of like detail in their worlds and all those kinds of things. And I mean, I, I'd, you know, I'd love to see them try something maybe completely different from what we, what we associate with them, uh, with, uh, Sebastian's talents, um, on board. Uh, I guess I, I, I sort of hope that he's not just coming on board to shore up like, you know, world of warcraft lore or help design scenarios for the next expansion pack or something but that he you know but that his talents are really put to uh put to put to really good use well evidently according to his linkedin page he is now a creative director on a project at blizzard although it is a mystery project so it sounds like he's involved at a very high level in something and I mean, there's part of me that that ag- agrees that it would be nice to just sort of up their game on a game, you know, like make the Diablo universe not as cheesy and and maybe try to deepen it and enrich it and, and make the storytelling a priority in those games. But there's also something really exciting about maybe some brand new property that shows what Blizzard can do in a whole different light. You know, that that would be really cool. Yeah. too. I mean, right. I think you make a good point. Like, um, uh, I mean, obviously like Diablo four is probably coming down the pipe, you right. know, in the next four, three, four years. Um, and I mean, so I played recently in Diablo three, I played, uh, the, the, the darkening of Tristram, which is their annual event where, um, you sort of go back in time and you go to the cathedral from the first game. And there's like some visual effects and everything that sort of, sell that and but the music the sound is all also from like the original diablo and the tone you know when i was playing that i was like oh my god the tone of the first diablo like i'd forgotten how sort of suffocating Mm -hmm. and like oppressive and genuinely like unsettling and frightening it is because diablo you know three it's even though you're fighting demon hordes and things like that like it just doesn't have that same element of of genuinely being like yeah. creepy or unsettling to you and and yeah. so there is potential maybe for Diablo for Diablo 4 to be uh, a noteworthy evolution of the of the franchise and and to be tonally different perhaps tonally closer to what we remember f- from the earlier games and also to maybe bring with that um sort of nuanced characters and uh things things of that sort as well yeah yeah here's hoping i mean either way they've clearly gotten themselves a a really top tier talent to join the studio so uh as as christian pointed out it's good news for for blizzard which is which is welcome as far as i'm concerned yeah i wonder too in terms of like leaving uh cd project red if it wasn't necessarily the ideal time but maybe this is a dream job you know and it, it seems like right. it's a step up from a narrative setting director and uh and then creative director to come over to creative director of blizzard might be like a step up in career and this was available now and who knows if it's available six months from now or who knows if cyberpunk 2077 is out six months from now and he felt as if his work was done enough and couldn't he couldn't pass up this opportunity. Yeah. Well, Sebastian, if you're listening, you're welcome to come on the show and explain it to us. <laughs> <laughs> um, my story of the week, boy, I, I'm, I'm torn between these two. I, I think both are interesting. But I'm surprised, Christian, you didn't pick this one. I, I'm curious in particular to pick your brain about this big legal story that broke this week about Facebook. Um, Facebook... Not 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 with a good PR in the last six to ten months. Uh, that's for sure. 
the now evidently internal documents that show that Facebook uh, was aware of the defrauding of their own customers by some mobile games and could have taken steps to stop it and decided, nah, we like money. Um, and uh, so let me explain how this went down. There are a bunch of mobile games on the Facebook platform that uh, use microtransactions and in-game purchases to make their money. Uh, and evidently what you can do is if you allow the, if you purchase the game and use your credit card to do so, the game will retain your credit card number for future purchases. And then uh, like if you're a parent and you purchase the game for the kid and then hand the phone to the kid, the kid can then purchase infinity more things inside the game using that same credit card without actually having to reauthorize it from you. So there are a lot of uh, parents who take that up with their credit card company and uh, uh, oppose the charges. Charge and, back. Yeah, do that what they call chargeback. So you, ultimately they lose money. The credit card companies challenge those charges, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Facebook noticed that this was happening, that there was a spike in these kinds of things with certain games. And they said, well, we could easily have this two-step process of requiring the kid to authorize it again in the phone. But if we did that, it would eat into our revenue. So we're not going to do that. So th there's even a an, an term for this internally at Facebook. They refer to it as uh, Family fraud or friendly fraud. Friend, yeah, friendly fraud. Friendly fraud. Uh, so they were well aware of it. They were uh, they they consciously allowed it to continue, and uh, now they are facing ramifications for that. There's a, a lawsuit uh, that's working its way through the courts. But I, well, Christian, first let me go to you, and as uh, our lawyer who can definitely speak to your your current lawyer, and you both can definitely active speak. licenses are still active. Advice I mm -hmm. give should be a hundred percent and not sarcastically treated as actual legal um, opinions. Yeah, go ahead. Right, right, and, and definitely you don't. No caveats required. Zero. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah, zero. Yeah, zero. Gotcha. Zero. Okay. So, what's your take on this? Uh, well, one, the, these I love Freedom of Information Acts and getting documents out to the public. I think this I don't know if this was a Freedom of Information or not how these came out, but I know that this case has been going for a long time and these documents are old and have now just become public. And I think this shows why it's important and the, the work that those people do to get documents made public is is very important. Um, there's a lot to unpack, I think, in this. And, and legally is perhaps the, the last of it um, because what you're looking here now is Facebook's intent and that they were aware of this stuff happening and they actually kind of encouraged it and didn't stop it. But you also need to consider um, while oftentimes using our devices, uh, they don't make things clear either through a EULA or when you sign into something – I'd imagine, I don't know in these particular games on Facebook, and one of them mentioned is Angry Birds. I don't know. I haven't played it through Facebook. But I'd imagine that somewhere in a setting somewhere, there's a way to opt out of storing your credit card. Like I know on my Nintendo Switch, I don't have my credit card information stored. Uh, I, for the case that my kids end up in the eShop and buy stuff. Um, I don't think I have my credit card stored on anything, um, any of my game consoles. So I'd imagine there's some aspect of that of like 
yes, you didn't make these charges, parent, but also maybe be a little more careful with your credit card. With that out of the way, I think the damning stuff here is the idea that Facebook was aware that this was happening and very intentionally decided to do nothing about it because they didn't want to... um, I think the word was like, we need to prioritize profits and doing this will hurt profits. And and it's like this idea of like, if you make someone think about a purchase they're going to make, they might not want to make it. But that's common also in a lot like Fortnite. People are like, give us a confirm button. I wrote an op-ed for something else about the lack of confirm buttons in a lot of video games for purchases. Um, and it's a very real problem in one where just asking for the security code on a credit card or some level of confirmation could prevent a lot of this. And this is not a legal opinion. Uh, and Carolyn, I'm curious in your take as well, but I, I think it's disgusting. It's prioritizing revenue and profit above everything else, because if you ask for confirmation, you might lose X percent of people who are honestly looking to make a purchase, but then they think about it and they don't do it. And also not all of this uh, friendly fraud is charged back. So sometimes some parents don't notice because you don't check your credit card bill that closely and heaven forbid, you don't get all the money you possibly could get. Uh, And I think that, I think that's, I think that's real gross and uh, that sucks. (laughs) Legally it sucks. I, I, of course, I completely agree that it's, it's reprehensible, you know? Um, I mean, ploys like this have, been in one form or another commonplace for forever. Like I remember when I was a kid and there'd be ads on TV for some kid oriented phone hotline, you know, and yeah. be like, whatever, call, hey kids, call one, you know, 900, such and such, you know, get your parents' permission before you call. Right. Um, right. But of course, like they don't, they, they, their bank, I think part of their business, uh, their uh, system, their, um, is knowing that kids will call like, Probably without getting their parents' permission. Get your parents' we'll permission, call, 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 call. but the phone is right there. It just, yeah. kid, just look over, look yeah. where the phone is, but get your parents' permission. But seriously, yeah. that's right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so obviously, yes, like I, I, I think, I'm sure that as you say, uh, there are systems in place by which parents can go in and, and adjust certain settings and things, but, but really like, uh, and it would be great if all parents were as technologically savvy and as on top of these things as, they should be, but but um, but also like businesses, you know, uh, bodies like Facebook, of course, certainly have to. They have to um, err in favor of the, the parents, um, and, and uh, rather than like in favor of the profits of these companies. Yeah, you would. You can imagine. Even, you know, the time period this was happening, which I think that's what's like 2011, uh, I'm sure there were quite a few parents that just weren't even, they didn't even know enough to ask the right questions, right? They didn't even know that the game could charge you after you've already bought the game, that there's there's more to buy in the game that, you know, it it does seem pretty sleazy. It's, It's kind of predatory. Yes. And, uh, it's really scummy that, that, uh. Facebook. I mean, I guess there's the exact quote that they released in these documents that says, uh, we do not have a clear way to identify it at the purchase level because it looks like a good transaction. And if we were to build (laughs) risk models to reduce it, we would most likely block good revenue, which is exactly what Christian was saying, which is like, if, if you ask people two times to, to, if they really want to buy it, there's some people are going to say no. So we can't block that good revenue out of there. 
uh, yeah, it's really gross and, um, and it needs to stop. I'm definitely in favor of people being more responsible and, and not, you know, shirking their own responsibility to understand what they're buying. But this is a very easy to misunderstand thing. Intentionally uh, so, I feel. Yes, intentionally so, yeah. And man, it's just another one of those things where I'm like, I just don't want to use Facebook anymore. It just story after story after story. And now here it is finally in our wheelhouse of of gaming, like squarely on gaming. Because these are, for the most part, games they're doing. They're talking about Angry Birds and uh, there's a ninja game that they were, that this uh, lawsuit specifically name checks. So it's, this is our in our wheelhouse now. And it's just another example of how this company seems to really not not care about the well-being of their customers they just want to squeeze every last dime out of them it's it's really not good all right um so you know um close your facebook account all right moving on um <laughs> lifting uplifting transition <laughs> yeah <laughs> i uh i also wanted to talk about this story because i this is starting to happen now we, we dreams the the <sighs> upcoming sony exclusive title from media molecule has not been released yet. It's coming out this year, but evidently there is a closed beta happening where they're actually testing the game out. And there are some real creative people working with Dreams. If you're not familiar with Dreams, Dreams is uh, another game from Media Molecule. The people that did Little Big Planet, Little Big Planet was all about sort of creating as you play. Dreams takes that to a whole new level where you have this, this tool set that allows you to create what seems to be anything at this, this point. This podcast uh, was made in dreams. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Actually, Christian Spicer was made in, in dreams. You didn't that's know that. true. That's true. Um, it, it, it's uh, it's really extraordinary. I got a chance to mess with it uh, at a at an event and was blown away. But now that it's actually in beta, and it's a closed beta, so there are there are NDAs and there are you're not supposed to see <laughs> stuff. But stuff is starting to trickle out of what people have been doing with these tools. And there's an I think we talked about. Um, one recently where someone, what, someone what did PT. They did the hallway oh, yeah. of PT with like oh, the crying right. and uh, yeah, NDA, NDA, like it shouldn't have leaked, but my God, if that isn't in the commercial for dreams. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this one's even more remarkable because this week we got another leaked little snippet of video of somebody who recreated dead space or at least part of dead space in dreams. And it looks exactly like dead space. So the reason I wanted to bring this up, Carolyn, is because I think this kind of tool set really can, has the potential. I mean, everybody's predicting the dreams is not going to do well as a product. We'll see, but it has the potential to, I think, dramatically change video games. I think allowing people who have no technical prowess to be, just be purely creative and create stuff, not to mention all of this, clear ip mess that's mario one one yeah. yeah so what are, what are your feelings about this oh i mean yeah I, i'm having flashbacks to the launch of the first little big planet where uh so many people did i mean obviously in the, in the 2d sort of platforming context but would still do some really fun cool interesting things yeah. that were you know like little stories about batman or like a 2d version of uh of a uh, god of war or yeah, i don't do know you when somebody made a computer in little big planet like somebody made a functional computer yeah yeah, yeah. but but all the stuff that had that was you know clearly just ripping off other stuff was right. 
was nuked by by media molecule but a lot of that was kind of a lot of the coolest stuff that people were doing in little big planet at the same time so that was kind of frustrating um but uh i mean boy you know the obviously the tools in dreams are extraordinarily uh flexible powerful you know people really can just do all kinds of wonderful things with this and um I guess you know I, I'm I'm extremely excited about uh, about that about what what people do with dreams. I'm I'm excited to play it. I'm excited to explore their creations. I guess what I wonder is, you know, will there be a way for if somebody does create like legitimately uh, great stuff within dreams? Like maybe maybe they are an amazing platformer level designer or you know they 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 have a great talent for creating atmosphere or whatever the case may be i mean will there be a sort of path a means by which like uh, some studio or or you know somebody who actually makes games not in dreams but actually you know makes games as an indie studio or an indie creator or or a triple a developer or whatever the case may be can like maybe sort of reach out to those people and like you know get them jobs in making actual games if they if within dreams they're able to demonstrate that they have some kind of genuine talent for you know for work within games well i would take it a step further i i'm hoping and i don't know how technologically feasible it is but it seems like it could be I think if it's possible, it would be extraordinary if Sony said, hey, we're going to do an update to the PlayStation uh, OS, and it's going to include a little kernel of whatever the Dreams architecture is. That means you can run creations that are made in Dreams natively on your PS4. So Uh someone could build something in Dreams and then release it, and I could play it without actually having to even own Dreams. Like, it would just be a way for Sony to make infinite, awesome PlayStation games. I think that would be really cool. I don't know if it's possible, but it seems like something that might be possible. Yeah, it's a super exciting (laughs) And then, yeah, you could build in a whole way for people to monetize it, and you can have a, a whole army of game designers that don't necessarily even need to know how to use the tools of game designers. It's it's right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Christian, you saw this, uh, this dead space uh, recreation. What do you, what do you feel about uh, the ability of people to make something that is virtually indistinguishable from an IP that already exists? I think these demos or these snip videos are very impressive. I do like the way the two that have impressed me the most are people are using dreams to make my nightmares, um, (laughs) (laughs) which seems funny, but I want to get my hands on it. You know, I want to play it. There's a difference between a really cool trailer or like guided thing versus playing, um, as Karen mentioned, like an awesome platformer or something like that. So I want to see how it plays with these creations that people are making, how they handle and how they, how they move. And also hopefully someone makes Tearaway too in dreams <laughs> for sure yeah. by dreams. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's real quick to, to your point there. I mean, uh, one of the big problems with little big planet uh, i think for me and certainly and i think for a lot of people is no matter how creative some of the stuff looked um that people were able to create like 
it just didn't re- feel good to control. Usually, like Little Big Planet right. was awfully floaty, and so you know, c- can these games? The, the things created in dreams, can they feel as good as they look? And can people who create them tune, you know, fine tune how the, the game feel as much as they can fine tune the, you know, the look and, and everything else about, about what they're creating? That is an excellent point. Yeah. And that'll be the big question, right? Is it, is it just a, um, a facsimile or is it actually going to play great too? That's, that's a great point. Well, it remains to be seen, but it's uh, certainly exciting and uh, a really wild notion of, of bringing something as easy to use as this to the masses. All right, uh, let's get into the games that we have been playing, speaking of games. But first, let me take a break real quick and thank our sponsor, which is Brooklyn. And oh, man, I <laughs> I love Brooklyn and I, uh, I'm a father and I have gotten to the point where my sleep is precious, even more precious than it's ever been. It is, it is few and far between for me to get sleep. And so I am so appreciative that I have Brooklinen sheets to slip into the end of the night because it is the most comfortable, wonderful experience sliding into my Brooklinen sheets. I've had them for years now and they still feel incredible. Uh, it is the most high quality sheet I have ever owned by far. And I had no idea before I had my Brooklyn and sheets that there was such a difference in experience between the, the best feeling sheets and the stuff that I'd been using for my whole life. Uh, Brooklyn is all about that luxury experience, that luxury feel, but not that premium price. And that's because they cut out the middleman. They, uh, They've got five quali- uh, five star hotel quality sheets, but they're affordable. They're they're uh, stuff that I can actually have, and that's because most luxury luxury sheet brands mark up their prices three hundred percent, as much as three hundred percent. That's insane. But because Brooklyn and can sell direct, they don't have to do that. Uh, I absolutely love them, and they're they come in all kinds of colors and patterns. Over twenty colors and patterns. Uh, my wife enjoyed finding ones that looked great in our bedroom, and I'm sure you'll be able to find ones that look great in yours. So my, as I said, my Brooklyn sheets are the best, most comfortable sheets I've ever slept on. And now is the time for your upgrade. Brooklinen.com is giving an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code DLC at brooklinen.com. And Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all of their sheets, comforters, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. That's pretty great. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use the promo code DLC at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code DLC. Brooklinen. These really are the best sheets ever. Ooh, Time to talk about our playlist, and we gotta start with Resident Evil 2 Remake. Carolyn, I know you've been playing it. Christian, I know you've been playing it. Carolyn, tell me, what, did you first of all, what's your experience with Resident Evil? Did you play Resident Evil 2 back in the day? Uh, were you excited, looking forward to this? What, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely I played Resident Evil 2. You know, it was one of my favorite games on the original PlayStation, and it was a game, actually, that... Uh, I, I 
uh, it took me years, you know, I would, I would come to it, I, I'd come to it and be like, okay, this time I'm going to do it, I'm going to get through this game, and at a certain point, you know, I, um, I just get, I, I find myself just getting killed again and again, and I just got terrified and overwhelmed, and I said, I, I can't, I can't do it, and, you know, but eventually, after I don't know how many years, but still within the PlayStation 1's life cycle, you know, I finally conquered that game, and it was just one of the most kind of rewarding uh, experiences that I had. Um, um, on the original PlayStation. And so, yeah, like I, I was super intrigued. Like what, you know, I was sort of asking those questions, like well, what exactly does it mean? Like in what way is this a remake? Like what's going to be different? What's going to be the same? Um, and uh, I mean, so so I've only played a remake maybe for about like four hours or so at this point. So I'm still pretty early on. I'm playing the Leon campaign for starters. Leon! <laughs> and um and uh you know man it's like amazing first of all it's amazing how much just immediately is flooding back to me of like oh yes this i remember i remember this room in the playstation version even though in that version it was from this like fixed camera angle and here it's the standard you know kind of uh over the shoulder but mm-hmm. it's still it still feels very familiar so you know it feels immediately familiar but it also like the intensity the tension is definitely ramped up by just by by you know you're way more immersed in it i think by both by virtue of the the camera angles and the, the much more detailed graphics and also just the the gore and you know just the, the everything about it just contributes to a to a higher level of like anxiety yeah. um um and uh you know i'm um yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 way into it. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm just lo- I'm just loving it. Yeah, uh, I have to come clean and say I am uh, I'm chicken, and I am not. I haven't decided. I'm. I don't think I'm going to play it. Um, <laughs> I, I I loved the first Resident Evil two back in the day. We played it in my dorm room. Uh, we all sat around and played. Uh, one person hold the controller. Everybody else, you know, <gasps> leap and scare and yes. help help with puzzles and all that stuff. Uh, which is the way to play these games, I think, if you if you can swing it. But um, uh, yeah, now where I will be sitting all by myself playing Resident Evil Two with increased graphics and the ability to yeah. scare me way worse, I I don't know if I'm willing so, to do that. To you mind. know, it's interesting you say that. Like, I actually find for me that uh, so yeah, when I, I was in college and everything, largely when playing Resident Evil Two before, and I had that to- that social communal experience, and so. I've tried mostly to play to play the remake um, on on stream, so that it, at least on mm. my, on Twitch, so that at least I feel like there's some kind of social element to it. Like I'm sharing the experience with other people. So yeah. There's something comforting in that, and, and, and it makes me able more able to sort of. Uh, laugh at myself when I find myself getting really scared. Like, like if right. a jump scare gets me, uh, I'll freak out. But then I'll laugh. Be- just because I know that I've just freaked out in front of, you know, 20 people or whoever many happen to be hanging out in the Twitch stream at that time. And somehow that, that, you know, it just, it just makes it feel that, that communal feeling just, I think really it, it, it makes the, the fear more, a little more like cathartic, I guess I would say a little more, more fun, like right? it's shared. I, you know, it's just, it's just less of a, less of a burden um, somehow when I'm sharing it with other people. I think that's, that's right on. And I, maybe that's, maybe that's what I should do if I want to play this, but I think you're right. I think what, 
what's fun about being scared is when you're with other people and you, it, it is, it's, it's a fun thing to be all scared as a group. And Oh my God, we, we just, we all le- leaped and Oh my God, we all got scared. And I, Oh, I got scared and you didn't and Oh my God, or whatever. Uh, by myself in a room playing these games, I just, it's just not an experience I enjoy, but totally. uh, Christian, I know you're playing it as well. Yeah. So Capcom did it with resident evil seven as well, but, um, I don't know if this will get as much talk at the end of the year <clears throat> for Game of the Year because it's a, a remake, but who knows what the year has in store. But I think the first great game, Game of the Year contender, is out, you know, chisel it in stone. This game is incredible. And I want to talk about fear and scared stuff, so I want to get back to that also. But Resident Evil 2, as we talked about for Shadow of the Colossus last year, another incredible remake that came out um, for PlayStation 4, Resident Evil 2 is a masterclass, in my opinion, of game design. In term, and I'm playing through as Claire because um, I feel like I played Leon back in the day, and I I think I always like oh, I'm gonna go play Claire, and then I'd get like two hours through and be like ah oh, something new and shiny, and I'd move on. Also, um, your daughter's name is Claire, so you kind of have to, right? Yeah, I mean, I just love putting my daughter into a room full of zombies. <laughs> um, it, I think Resident Evil 2 is a masterclass in game design in terms of how it builds suspense and through its layout, its level design, puzzles, and the pressure it puts on you in terms of picking up items. So this is very early in the game. I believe I have not gone back and replayed the original, so my memory could be fooling me, but I believe it's the same in OG Resident Evil 2, but there's a moment where you're able to pick up a key that you're going to need not too long after. But in that room where that key is, there's also ammo and some herbs, and you're left with this decision of, you haven't come to this door where this key is yet, you're probably going to need the key, need this key, but you know you've got this hallway to get through. Like, what do you do and how do you do it? And so where I ended up in this playthrough is I was like, oh, I I remember this key. I don't need it for a while. I'll leave the key here. I'll actually put it in a trunk. I'll come back and get it. And then as I'm going and I'm progressing, and I get, of course, I'm like, oh, that's that key. And now I've used my ammo and my herbs to get through there. Now I got to go back through all that to the trunk to get the key. And the way these puzzles, it's just one small example of the way these puzzles layer on each other where it's like, oh, yeah, you got this medallion go drop it on this statue and do this. Oh, you did it. Great. Okay. Well now this guy's calling for you to come back over here. You thought that was going to open this door and you're going to keep going this way, but now you got to go back this way, but this window's broken. So it's not the way you thought it was going to be. Uh, and it's just the way that they just layer on top of each other in this and resident evil one, I think was fantastic level design too with, um, the mansion, but the police station in particular and, and resident evil two and the way the rooms keep, checking themselves off and forcing you back through them and into areas that you never feel safe in, even though you have been there five times before the feeling of unease about coming back to an area is something that this game does so, so incredibly well. And I know I mentioned it when I talked about the demo, but whatever reworking they did to make the jump scares and surprises work, shifting from a static camera to allowing you free look basically with lighting or um, reworking rooms in a way that you subtly don't notice is just absolutely incredible. Like the time they spent and the care they put into this game, I I don't think it can be praised enough because it has all of that anxiety (laughs) inducing feelings, but I can see around the corner. I I can see it and it's still absolutely terrifying 
combine that with the puzzles, the combat, the way you move through the space now, um, the graphics, that Resident Evil engine is stunning. Um, I'm, I'm blown away. I am absolutely blown away by it. So I'll pause here, but I do want to get back to fears and scares and then my one nit that I have with the game as well. But I want to pause and let that digest for a minute. In case anyone had comments. <laughs> and I, I mean, thought you just wanted like a moment of silence for us all to just revel in your great points. No, for you to buy the game, for you to buy the game and for <laughs> Carolyn to let me know next time I can watch that stream. You know, that's <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I have not, when I first started up this game, I wasn't sure if, if, oh, it's Resident Evil 2 in like the setting and the basic beats of the story, but, oh, but now, oh, you'll just be flooded with ammo and you can just gun down all the zombies and, you know, play it like a power fantasy kind of thing. And at first I did feel like, oh my God, I'm, I have so many bullets. I have like 50 some bullets, but man, zombies take so many hits <laughs> to like go down and stay down and they can just, you know, coming through the windows and so like i found myself running really short of ammo before too long and i'm like oh my god i actually have to like worry about ammo management like i when was the last time a game made me worry about ammo management and like and it's scary like that feeling of like do i will i even have enough resources to get through this what if i run out like that that's definitely part of the part of the fear that this game um man you know creates as well yeah, it's interesting to think about how this sort of started survival horror as a genre, you know, these games, and how far they've come, how how different the genre itself kind of has, has become. Survival now is like crafting items. I mean, they're still crafting in Resident Evil, right? You combine herbs, I guess. But uh, now it is survival as a genre has has. I think taken on a completely different ramification and to kind of revisit what this was like, which is conservation and uh, a scarcity of resources and worrying about what's around the next corner and having to constantly go back. And I mean, does it retain the, even the, like you can only get a few saves. You have to have no. the, so well, save it depends on the uh, difficulty. Yeah, the hardcore mode. If you, if you choose hardcore, then you do need typewriter ribbons to save. Yeah. Right. Man, that was so frustrating when I was playing it originally. Oh, so frustrating. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad to hear you guys are just raving about it. Everybody seems to be raving about it. And I, there's part of me that would love to revisit this game. I, it has, has such a fond place in my heart from the time I played it. But I, there's so many other things to play. And I just, I just, it's not an experience that I'm anxious to have anymore. So I've first the fear, which I think is interesting. And again, I think testament to how great this game is. It's like, why are you scared? You know, you know, you're safe playing this game. Like you, the player, you're safe. It could be the middle of the day. You're safe. You're fine. You're, you're in your place. You're playing this game. Uh, and I was like, oh, well, you might die. Your character on screen might die. But at no point when I'm playing, let's say, Destiny, and I'm in the middle of a raid or a strike, and all of a sudden this huge boss spawns for the first time that will probably kill me because I don't know what to do yet. I'm not scared then, or you're playing God of War and you come across a Valkyrie. That's not scary. You know you're going to die and you're going to lose progress and have to go back. And I think it's fascinating how this game, through its setting, its atmosphere, its sound design, makes what happens literally in every video game, except for maybe adding item management, resource management to it. But it's every video game. You know, you, you approach a new thing and you die the first time. Mega Man, that's not scary. You get to a new screen in Mega Man, I'm going to die six times, you know, before I learn that pattern. And here it's the same thing. I get to a new room 
And it's like, yeah, a, a thing is going to kill me. That's how games work. And, but there's something about the atmosphere that it lays on. And I, I guess our dumb lizard brains <laughs> for not being able to separate like avatar from real life person with the, the effects and blue lighting and all of the tricks that the horror genre does. But I think it's so fascinating that at its core, it's just another video game like duh, but it still makes you so nervous, even though nothing's changed from the action from Tomb Raider or, you know, whatever game you were well, playing just before this. I mean, you could make the same argument to say that nothing should be scary, right? No movie, no book, yeah. no anything should ever be scary because you're just reading a book or you're just watching a movie. But we invest ourselves. And I think with video games, you invest yourself even more because you're the person that needs to walk forward. Yeah. The, the movie does, walks forward for you and you can say, don't open that door, don't open that the door, but that, that person's going to open the door. With a video game, you got to push A to open that door. You got to do it. Uh, so, you know, I, I, well, I'm saying, I'm not I, saying it's, I'm saying it's a testament to how well this game is designed, right? Like, it, yes, I, yeah. I'm agreeing with what you're saying. It's the same thing in a book or whatever, like a good horror book. It's a testament to a good horror book or good horror movie. But I think this game in particular, because there are some campy horror games or some games that don't quite strike the same level of terror. But I was playing this last night. Uh, my wife was like, I'm going to go to bed. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to stop playing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, doggy door is locked. Okay. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I, it's not that I'm, I, I, I don't know. I guess it's just the anxiety, which is what Carolyn was talking about. The anxiety of playing it is. So that's, that's my knit. And this is, I, hmm, technically, I guess it's a spoiler. Um, so let's see. I, I will keep this under a minute i promise and i'm going to it's technically a resident evil 2 remake spoiler i think people already know it technically a spoiler i'll keep it under a minute here we go starting now um mr x the berserker is so frustrating and it wasn't like this in the original game you didn't spawn this early in the game and he keeps following you and it makes me so angry because all I want to do is solve this stupid puzzle and I can't because this big hulking thing is coming at me and it's so scary. And I swear this thing can teleport. I haven't researched if it teleports or not, but it gets into areas that you think are safe areas. The game tells you are safe areas where you can save. It gets in there. It gets in it. You can get You can avoid it. But my God, it's <laughs> uh, super scary. And, and I, that's my knit is like you ratchet it up in a way that, I wasn't expecting you to and not <laughs> so it's like good bad but it's also kind of like a timer which is a little annoying speaking of I'm at 45 seconds I'm going to wrap it up but that's my nit so far is dealing with mm. that thing. All right. Well, I think this whatever else it may do this sets a new bar for what remake can be. I mean, I think we both talked about how last year Shadow of the Colossus set a new bar as to what remake can be, but this is going in and and fundamentally changing how you play this old game um re really reimagining it from a mechanics perspective all the way down and uh i'm excited that older video games can can have fresh new life like this and i hope we see more of this i i'm i'm encouraged by it i don't think it invalidates the games that came before i think it is a really interesting fresh new take on this stuff and injecting new technology into kind of old stories and old themes uh, is something I'm, I'm excited that we may see more of. 
All right, uh, Carolyn, what else is on your playlist? What else have you been playing? Well, I really want to, I have to celebrate this release. So on Switch, um, recently the, the Sega Ages team, you know, that's put out uh, other kind of good uh, updates, updated ports of games like, uh, like say, the original Fantasy Star. They they put mm-hmm. a lot of n- neat bells and whistles on that on Switch recently. But um, so they just released uh, Outrun, the arcade, you know, classic, uh, yeah. Sega arcade classic Outrun on Switch, and I, I believe it's more or less the same version as was released on the 3DS some years ago, and, and you know, the, it looked amazing on 3DS. The 3D effects were fantastic, but I just don't really use my 3DS much anymore, so and so I'm thrilled to have this game on on Switch. Um, you know, this is a, it's a Yu Suzuki uh, game, right, which he yeah. famously described um, as not a racing game, but a driving game, but um, hmm. I think you know, Outrun to, is is one of my all time favorite games, and I'm thrilled to have it on Switch. And, and particularly, what I admire about it so much. I mean, I think it's just it's one of the all time great achievements in video game style, both visually yeah. and sonically. Uh, you know, if, uh, a lot of people probably know that you know at the start of the game, you can choose at least in the original arcade version between one of three songs, and then you're just like you know, basically like cruising up the California coast. And it's like this dream version of, you know, California. I mean, they're just the sort of pristine, you know, beaches and blue skies. And then, you, you know, you, there's these forked uh, paths at the end of each stage. And you, you just go through all these, just, just really like idyllic um, landscapes that um, with, you know, amazing music playing. And it's just like a little, it's like a little dream. It's like, it's like a little sort of, fantasy of of like distilled like the the distilled fantasy of what california you know what we think of when we think of of like an idealized california not not the real place but the kind of vision of california the palm trees and the sun and and all of that and um you know it it runs smoother you know on i think they bumped it up from to like 60 frames per second um from the original arcade version and everything. So it, it looks smoother and better than ever. And, you know, it sounds as great as it ever did. And, um, so and you don't need quarters. <laughs> yeah, and you don't need, yeah, you don't need quarters. Like, yeah. And you can adjust, you can give yourself more time. Uh, so you might, you know, you can actually maybe, maybe see some of the endings and, you know, it has like little nifty little things to unlock that, you know, make the car, uh, perform better if, you know, if you're into that sort of thing. But for me, it's really just about having, um, outrun the classic itself, like on, on my switch. I'm just, I'm just thrilled about that. Very cool. Do you know how much it's, it's sold standalone or is it part of a grouping of games? No, it's, it's, uh, it's on its own. Um, yeah. yeah, just cool. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, what else, what else you got there? Uh, the other thing I just, so I just finished, uh, Life is Strange 2 Episode 2. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Life is Strange games, not so much before the storm, but the original Life is Strange. And so far, season two, I, I really like what they're doing. Um, you know, y- y- you have, it's, it's definitely a game that is trying in some ways to, to look at and deal with the America that we're living in right now. You know, you have these brothers, the Diaz brothers, um, and who, you know, sometimes encounter people who, I mean, in in episode one, there's a, there's like a supporting character who his 
sort of xenophobia and like build that wall ishness is maybe a little like on the nose. Like I felt like, okay, it's a little heavy handed. Like I get what you're doing with this character. Like he's, but, but, um, but nonetheless, like I really appreciate that the game is, is acknowledging and like trying to deal with some of the political realities that, that we find ourselves just as Americans kind of dealing with at the moment. And, um, and, uh, yeah, like, so the second episode, you know, it's, um, uh, what, what surprised me most about this episode is, so I watched, I actually, I almost never do this, but I watched a friend play it and make like his choices, uh, first. And, and then I played through it on my own and made my own choices. And, you know, surprisingly, I mean, at least I was somewhat surprised, um, you know, something like pretty genuinely horrifying happened at the end of my friend's playthrough that, uh, that I was like shocked. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe they let that thing happen. Whoa. Um, <laughs> and that thing did not happen at all at the end of, of my game. Uh, oh, wow. which, you know, again, it's, it's just, it's just kind of, it's su- surprising that the divergence is that it was as stark as it was. Um, right. but really, you know, I- I'm, um, I mean, so far, you know, season two isn't, it, it hasn't gotten its hooks into me quite the way um, uh, season one did. I found the relationship between the the, the lead female characters in season one, um, you know, really uh, captivating and fascinating. Um, this season hasn't gotten, hasn't quite reached that level for me yet, but it is doing things that I admire. Um, it's, I find it well-written. Um and it has a lot of great little moments, and so you know, I'm am d- definitely going to stick with it, and um, you know, see see where it goes from here. Very cool. That's Life is Strange two episode two, and uh, let's turn out a Christian's playlist. Christian, I think we should start talking about the anthem demo because uh, Anthem had a sort of I guess they called it their VIP early access weekend this weekend. And you and I uh, each got codes. We were very grateful to get them from NVIDIA uh, and um, got a chance to play Anthem. And you and I actually played together a bunch. Uh, what's your What's your take on Anthem, the big upcoming Bioware looter shooter that's going to be out uh, in just a few short weeks? But we got an early taste of this demo, which, of course, is a... Uh, a subset of the actual game. You don't get to do everything. There's only what three missions and a, a sort of longer um, like a strike. Yeah, like a strike. So four things to do, and then there's sort of free play mode, which is kind of sparse at the moment. But um, we got a fair amount of of the game uh, access to the game. You get four of the javelins, which I think there only are four. So uh, the the suits, which are sort of the classes in the game. So you get a, f- a fair taste of of the game. What did you think of it? Yeah, so I think I tweeted this out, I think maybe after we finished playing uh, earlier today. Um, There's so much I love about this game, and then so much that I loathe, that I'm very, to to not bury the lead, I think I cannot recommend getting this at day one right now. I I hope this game has a long life, because I think it has huge potential. Um, So we can talk about kind of the, the nitty gritty of like, the hard time getting into a game. I know it's a beta and then some of those uh, things, but I want to focus on that at first, but I want to focus on the stuff that I love. And that's when this game is, I'll say firing on all cylinders, in my opinion, 
it is absolutely incredible moment to moment gameplay. You are in a world, this beautiful, lush looking environment is where we were set for this part of the game. Uh, waterfalls, tropical elevation, you're going up and down, vertical levels are vertical, they're sprawling, and you're flying, you're hovering, you're doing barrel rolls, you're uh, the left trigger, right trigger, you know, shooting mechanic feels great. The little things about this game in terms of combat feel awesome. That when I find like your default um, gauntlet, uh, when you fire off your gauntlet out there, I just blanked on what they're called. Are they gauntlets? Or what, the javelins? Javelin. Thank you. Your default javelin, the one it started you with for this, this demo. Uh, when you fire off like your arm missile, your cannon, it kind of like, like spins you know like a little erratic before it hits its target really cool flourishes like that that just make you feel like you are embodying this this thing um and the types of enemies that you encountered i think are really cool and fascinating the the different locations that i've seen just in this world are beautiful um and it's it feels like iron man you know like there's something that's always going to be fun in my opinion about running on the ground, hitting a button, launching into the air and then flying and then transitioning to a hover and obliterating a mass of enemies in front of you before you crash back down on the world, unleash your super and then flank behind a cover. And oh yeah, you're doing that with three of your friends like all day, every day, right, Jeff? Like that to me. Well, that's what they're hoping. Is this game, (laughs) right? Like I thought before I do my nits, I would love to know like your broad you know, kind of take on the game as well. Yeah, it's interesting that here we are in, in a world where the thing that's amazing about a Bioware game is how the shooting mechanic feels great, right? That, that just seems like an odd statement to say that the best part, that's kind of how it was with <laughs> Mass Effect Andromeda too. It was like, wow, the combat's really fun, but the game itself, not, not that great. Uh, Anthem takes that even 12 steps farther. I mean, it is really solid. It is fun to combine your... You did a great job explaining it. You know, that the verticality of the levels, the the fact that you're flying, it really, really does feel like third-person destiny. And I prefer the third-person perspective. I never the destiny never got its hooks in me, but the idea of destiny that's in third person where I can fly, that's pretty great. And I was having a blast. I mean, we were all having a good time. We had a full group of of people. Um, you know, you're you're just in these great fun in engagements, these fun firefights with enemies that have shields. You need to take down their shields and they're all around you. And there's, you know, like these dog things that are running straight at you. And there's guys that are, there's turrets on these mountaintops that are shooting down. I mean, it's really dynamic, thrilling firefights that are a challenge and are fun. And it is, it is engaging and visually exciting. Um, you know, there's all kinds of effects happening all over the place. You're launching your supers. You're doing fun melee combat. I unlocked a, a javelin that is the infiltrator that is sort of primarily a melee-based thing where it's, it's more like this kind of ninja-looking character. It's like a Warframe. Has, Picture Warframe. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Like, it's, got like, it's got like Wolverine claws that pop out when you do melee. I mean, it's very fun. Um, and, and so all of that is super solid, which is the bare minimum of what you need for these games because you're going to be doing so much of that stuff that that 30 seconds of fun repeated has got to be solid and they have nailed that they have nailed it it is it is very fun to play the game (laughs) so 
Why does it sound like we're yeah. <laughs> couching our comment? It's fun to play the game. It's like, what? But it feels like that's kind of not enough anymore, which is weird. Um, in a universe where these games are asking a major investment of your time and energy and attention uh, because they are not, they are not um, short experiences. They're not A to B experiences, right? These are, these are asking to be games that you invest a lot of time in, that you bring your friends to, and that this is your hangout time. This is the place that you're leveling up and investing all, all your energy into. And so it feels like there needs to be another layer to keep you engaged over a much longer period than an average video game might ask of you. Yeah. And that's, that's going to be the loot, right? Excuse me. That's going to be the, 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 that grind of, of finding the right weapon and loadout and repeating these things over and over again. And then hopefully the Bioware, you know, je ne sais quoi that they add to it that I feel like this VIP or whatever the demo weekend doesn't, show much of there's a couple of story beats but not tons of stuff that let me go oh this is clearly a bioware joint and not made by bungie or some other competent you know developer um so to to me the nits for this thing my caveats right now are one um and i know they say this is an old build and it's a demo weekend or whatever but getting into the game we played on pc was not fun it was not easy uh, oftentimes it would get stuck on an infinite load where I had to go into task manager and force quit the game to log back in. And then the only surefire way I could get in is then by joining the instance that it said I was already in and I would miss out on stuff. So I'd come like halfway through, depending on how long it took me to, to restart and log in. And, uh, there's no other way to put it. That sucks. Uh, it's yeah. Not- who knows if that'll be the case with the yep. with the actual release? This but, is yeah. Only speaking to what I played this weekend. Um, but that sucked real bad. And then when I was in the, these worlds in missions and like these strike type encounters, um, you'll be in like a big area flying and shooting, and then the you know the HUD will tell you, you need to go this way, and you'll fly into a cave. Like there's no barrier stopping. You fly into a cave and you get you just run into a load screen. Mm. Like not not a transition like you're going down an elevator, you know, Mass Effect Metroid, or your ship flies very slowly, a la Destiny. Like you're you're as a robot, you cross an invisible threshold, then you hit a static load screen that has a picture of a javelin, and you watch a load bar go up. It's not even a door. Like it would be yeah. one thing if you opened a door and it loaded, you know, like Morrowind or something or Skyrim or something. But it, you're you're literally like going into a cave and the cave makes you load, which is very odd. It again, I would argue, in my opinion, it sucks. And you, when you come out of it, it's different. Like we were playing with a group and like two people's loads were faster than ours, so they were like, "Where are you?" And I was like, "What do you mean? I'm in a load screen." Like, <laughs> "Oh, we're getting killed." And I'm like, "Son of a, well, that's <sighs> that wasn't fun." Um, and then and I. I for this, this isn't much more of a nit. I would say this is like 90, 10, 90% of the time it was perfect and awesome. Then 10% was eh. Um, when you can fly and zoom around the way you can in this game, the level design needs to respect that at all times. And there are a few instances where it was like too cramped or had you traverse a certain way that just wasn't fun to fly. Like you bang into a wall and then fall down or you couldn't hover or fly. I think an example of a game that did it the amazing is Insomniac Spider-Man, right? Where that's just, that had the same potential problems of like, this is a very mobile character. You need to design your levels in a way that allow me to play that way. 
And I feel like Anthem in this demo, there were a few areas <clears throat> underwater that really were not fun to kind of move around in. And uh, I'm curious, Jeff, on your opinion about kind of that push and pull of your mobility. I know you had one big gripe that didn't bother me as much as it did you, but I'll let you talk to uh, <laughs> your, your concerns with flying. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't find the overheat mechanic to be particularly fun. And I don't, I guess it's necessary as a check on exploiting the flying in, in certain ways for, for players, but you can only fly for a certain period of time and, and you'll overheat. And there are ways to mitigate that. I'm sure there's a, uh, you know, a, a role-playing game system where you can upgrade that and extend that, that ho- overheat meter, or you can also fly through water or, touch near water. And that's kind of cool, like flying and then having to like, you know, skim water to cool down. It's all cool, but there's nothing fun about flying for a while, just heading toward your destination and having to stop to let the overheat meter cool off. I, I don't know. Who knows if a longer play sessions, the full, the full game makes that less of an issue for me, but I didn't have so much of a problem with the flying in corridors or level design. I, I really enjoyed the verticality. I really enjoyed the level design. Even if I was bouncing off walls sometimes, it didn't really bother me. It is that underwater stuff, which I was shocked at how bad it was implemented, at least in this demo, because that was one of the most dramatic elements from the original reveal of Anthem was going from flying to into water seamlessly and having this cool underwater world and then popping out of it. And that was one of the things I was most looking forward to for this game. And at least in the area that they sh- that they included in this demo, there's a moment you fly into water. There's several moments we fly into water and it's immediately dark and disorienting and you're twisted around and you don't understand what's going on. And there are bioluminescence that kind of guide your way eventually, but it is awkward and not fun and hard to find where you're headed. And it really does not capture the fantasy, which was in that video originally, which was like flying into water and flying out of water and it's all seamless and cool. So who, hopefully that works better in the, the final game. Um, and ultimately it, it, I'm worried about just all of the little things. Mm-hmm. You know, there are so many little things that ha- make such a big difference in games like this, like how the loot feels and where you have to go over and over and over again in a game like this. That you have the Tarsus, I think it's called this your home base in the, in this game. And for some unknown reason you're forced to be in first person perspective whereas you're in third person perspective for the rest of the game. Cuz it's what a destiny do. We're doing the opposite. <laughs> yeah, it's the inverse destiny evidently. Yeah. Um and you move really slowly and everything feels far away and it just it doesn't feel like a place I want to spend time in. It just feels like four corridors and a bunch of static NPCs. It, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous looking, but I'm worried about the repeatability of everything needs to be repeated over and over and over in a, in a game like this, because you're going to be doing, going to be going back and selling your things and getting your stuff and, you know, checking out your loot and reconstituting your mech and all that stuff. So I have serious concerns that that's all going to feel tedious and not fun uh, because of just how it's all set up, just purely technically how it's all laid out. And 
So I don't know. I, I'm worried. There's a lot of fun in this game. There's certainly a lot of fun in this game, but there's a lot to be seen. And, you know, there's at least one really clever story beat moment. There's a, a an experiment that kind of goes awry and this guy gets multiplied. It's really cool. Um, so hopefully there's lots of that. So there's mm-hmm. lots of fun story stuff, but I don't know. I, I, I'm, I remain cautiously optimistic for this game, but I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Uh, hopefully there'll be lots more anthems. I, I mean, I still want to play it. I still want to play it. Um, but it's going to be going to be doing the same thing that the division two is going to be doing around the same time the division two comes out. And I, I sense that I may enjoy that game more. So we'll find out. All right, Christian, what else is on your playlist? Uh, I'll mention I completed shadow of the tomb Raider. I loved the moment to moment of that gameplay of that game i found and as people warned me when i started out saying the story could be really cool the way they set up i I don't want to spoil it uh jeff hopefully when you play to finish it we can do a spoiler cast i could not be more disappointed with how that story ends unfortunately um it it personally let me down quite a bit (laughs) even if it does set up the tomb raider um (laughs) love the moment the moment don't regret playing it um but the story I was very let down. And then as I teased last week, I, my copy of Travis strikes again, which I keep calling Travis strikes back. Uh, it is not Travis strikes again. No more heroes showed up. And this is a game where I don't know if I understand it as much as I like it. <laughs> that makes sense. You, is, wait, you like it more than you understand it. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah. I think, yeah, uh, it is so stylish and, <laughs> self-referential that's like and- me and spanish <laughs> i like it more than i understand it that's funny <laughs> uh it's like self-referential and just like video game referential where the conceit of the game broadly is that there's i think six there's like this video game system that exists in the world uh that's like banned because it kills people and it's takes over your brain but of course you're going to play it and there's like i think six of these games that you plug in and get sucked into the game and play uh and it's like talking about all these other games with like visual styles of other games and referencing other games and referencing itself and then like winking at its reference to itself meanwhile you (laughs) pee to go to the bathroom you you pee to save the game uh but i'm a sucker for neon i love like (laughs) You know, we talk about the midnight on here all the time. I love their music so much. And this has like that neon soaked, you've got a katana blade, you've got a lightsaber, a neon soaked world uh, with like this cool Japanese style on top of that with like Japanese neon lights and like ramen shops. And it just oozes style in a way that um, the No More Heroes games kind of have. Uh, So I love all of that. Where I'm a little disappointed is going into it and I think I've done three of them or four of them. I I was I thought that each game that you plugged in into your death drive or whatever it's called, you'd kind of play a different style of indie game or old school game. Like, oh, now I'm in this world. I'm Pac-Man, you know, or whatever. I'm Travis right. Pac-Man. Now I'm in this game. Now it's Stardew, you know, Travis Touchdown or whatever. And from what I've played, you're pretty much doing the same hack and slash thing in every game that you're in and that hack and slash mechanic it doesn't feel as good as diablo 3's feel or some of these other games that have come out 
um, that do that top-down hack and slash so well. And there are cool winks and nods along the way where it's like a little bit of a break and you do something like a mini game or something that's stylistically different. But from the bulk of I've played, it's this very basic hack and slash game set in these other universes. Um, so I think that's the the caveat to to take if you're going into this game thinking it's going to be kind of WarioWare-esque, you know, thrust into different experiences every time. That has not been the case for me so far, but the style and the quirkiness of it keeps me coming back to see just what the heck happens next, even if the moment-to-moment action top-down um, hack and slash isn't the best of the best. Hmm. Could not be less interested in that game, but still- <laughs> <laughs> understandably so. Uh, understandably so. That's Travis Strikes Again, No More Heroes. Well, I know that I have spoken uh, at length over and over, even to the point of, I think, starting a thread about it. People saying, stop, Jeff, stop talking about Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Well, your wish is granted. Uh, (laughs) I finished, finally finished Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Kellen, did you play that game at all? Only the first uh, hour or so, and and I really, I mean, I was so immediately taken in by the beauty of the world, and by, I of course, I chose Cassandra. You yeah. know, she seemed like a fantastic kind of protagonist. Unfortunately, Red Dead Redemption Two kind of dropped in my lap right around that time, and mm-hmm. and that just became my my immersive open world experience, and I haven't yet gone back to Odyssey, but I do intend to. Well, uh, I I was on the other side of that coin. I preferred odyssey to red dead redemption 2 and i played i i I fell madly deeply in love with it yes i played as cassandra she is spectacular i highly recommend i can't imagine even playing as uh uh, alexios she's the performance given by that actress is spot on just wonderful and i uh, i finally finished the game i did everything i i mean i think there's probably let's see I, I was at, I think, what, 86, 83, something like that, 83 hours total uh, playtime. I could probably have spent triple that uh, doing everything. There's so much in that game, but I really played as much as I could. I, it is um, a game I loved every second of. I completed every major quest line. I did tons and tons of stuff. Uh, and I will fondly remember that game forever. It is uh, really one of the best role-playing game experiences of my life. I I can't remember. I've played long games, and I've put lots of hours in games. I can't remember the last time I eagerly put 83 hours into one single-player game. Uh, it is uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe Skyrim was the last time, or Fallout. Um, but uh, it, I could easily have kept going on it. It just It just was time. It was time to finish it up. And it is a satisfying ending. It is a satisfying, there's sort of like multiple different major quests and each of them has their own ending and all of them were really satisfying. And man, it's, I could not recommend that game higher. And I've said it many times in the show, but this is the last time I'll say it because uh, <laughs> I think that there's lots of DLC, but I think I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to close that chapter of my odyssey and maybe I'll return to it someday. But uh, kudos to that team. It's extraordinarily fun. All right, let's move on now. I do want to. I do want to uh, tell you guys about this other game. So let's uh, carve out a little bit of VR talk. VR. 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 
All right. I know that I'm the only one that played any VR this week, but I really want to tell you guys about this. Uh, I don't know if either of you have heard of The Fisherman's Tale, but it is a new game that came out on, uh, I think, exclusive to Oculus. I think it's an Oculus Studios game. I could be no, it's definitely on PSVR, I think. Is it? At least is I- it? I'm oh, almost great. positive I saw it on the on the on the PlayStation Store. Oh, that's good. I should have looked beforehand. I'm gonna I'm gonna look now. Um, if that's that is great. If so, because I know there's a lot of people that listen to the show that uh, just jumped into VR with PSVR recently, to, like this holiday season. And this is a really charming game, and one I highly recommend. There are a lot right now uh, in the, in the VR space uh, these uh, sort of pseudo escape room games uh, because escape rooms are fun and it's cool to do them in VR and you have the ability to sort of do a one to one transition of of what it's like to be in an escape room. You've you've got you know a static area, you've got things you can pick up and manipulate, and you've got puzzles to kind of get out of them. This game is like that. It is basically an escape room. Each level, each chapter of The Fisherman's Tale is a closed, finite space that you have to... uh, I'm getting confirmation that it does. It is on PSVR. That's great. Um, That you have to solve all the puzzles to move out of that space and into the next space. And you are this... uh, it, it, it is sort of a storybook world, and you are a puppet. You are a fisherman puppet who lives in a lighthouse. And you know that there's a big storm and a ship that's out there that needs your help. You have to turn the light on to illuminate the way so the ship can make it to shore safely. But a lot stands in your way. And you've been living in this lighthouse all by yourself for many years. And the only thing that you've been doing that whole time to pass the time, every day is the same. You get up and you brush your teeth and you put a fire in the stove and you do the thing. And then you go and you work on your little model. And you've been making this one-to-one perfect little model of the place you live. <laughs> it's your lighthouse. You made a model, the exact replica of your home, your your lighthouse, complete with a little you, a little... um tiny puppet that is you who also happens to be a puppet. Well, the magic that happens when once you complete this model is that you realize that it is this infinite loop, that anything you do in your world also happens in the model. And when you take the roof off of the model, the roof of your house also goes off and you look up and you see a giant version of yourself also doing that. So it's there's a larger version above you and a smaller version below you. And it's so it's thus infinitely. It's like staring into two mirrors, you know, where you can see yourself infinitely. So it's like that. So all of the puzzles in the game involve manipulating that dynamic. So you'll need something in the room, but invariably you'll need it to be bigger or smaller. So you'll have to like, hand it to yourself, you know? So if you, if you put your hand into the model holding something and you look up, you'll see the giant hand putting it into your world, the right size for you. And that's just the beginning of how that is used and how cleverly that idea is explored. You're constantly dealing with that, 
scaling issue and moving in and out of different scales and making items move in and out of different scales. And the whole thing is narrated by this Frenchman who's got a very charming accent. And uh, it's very, uh, you know, it's very um, literary and goofy. And then there's like little creatures that come to life and and sort of animated style, uh, like a little crab that talks to you or like a painting will come to life and talk to you. So it's got tons of charm and life to it. It's really not like anything else I've played. It's wonderful. And I found the 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 puzzles to be so brilliant and fun. And when you figure out how you're going to do it to – I mean, it's not super difficult. But every time I came to a conclusion, I just was filled with joy because the – the solution was so magical, you know, it just, it used that central idea of this one magic tweak to the universe. Uh, but it, it just kept coming up with new and interesting ways to make that cool. Uh, I really, really enjoy this game. It's called the fisherman's tale. And, you know, with VR, part of the fun of VR is scale is, is being the same scale as something or, being in front of something that's gigantic or looking at something in your hand that's tiny because it's in 3D and because you have this sense of of actually living in that world, scale always works. And the fact that they found puzzles that manipulate scale and utilize it and impress it upon you in new and interesting ways, I just found this game so charming and fun. So The Fisherman's Tale, highly recommended. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have our parting gifts coming up, so stick around for that. But Carolyn Pettit, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you all so much for having me. Of course. Why don't you tell people where they can keep up with you and your work online? Yeah, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at Carolyn Michelle uh, and uh, look for uh, some upcoming stuff from me um, on uh, Feminist Frequency uh, at FemFreak on Twitter. Keep up, you can keep up with us there as well. Fantastic. Christian Spicer, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Oh, I'm telling myself that Resident Evil 2 is not scary, I think, is going to be... <laughs> like when I take my kids out of the bath. They're like, I'm cold. Like, just say you're not cold. They're like, I'm not cold. I'm, that's how I'm going to play uh, RE2, hopefully. Um, I don't... Uh, Twitter's probably the best way to see if anything pops up this week at Spicer. I stream this show live on Twitch, pretty much just this show right now. It's all you'll find there, but it's uh, Sundays at 7.15 p.m. Pacific time, twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. And then if you want to see me not post much on Instagram, that is Christian underscore Spicer. Jeff, what about you? Well, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Uh, I do another podcast all about movies and TV shows called the Slash Filmcast. You can find that at slashfilmcast.com. This week, we are talking about the kid who would be king, and I'm 99% sure we're also going to do a special look at Serenity, which is one of the most bonkers movies I've ever seen, so you're definitely going to want to listen to that, Uh, slashfilmcast.com, and you can always uh, write into this show at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We appreciate your comments and questions. Uh, and uh, your parting gifts, if you want to submit a parting gift for the show, which we will get to right now. Carolyn, hey, 
Marilyn, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I do. I'm late to the party on this one, so most people have probably already already done this, been there, done that. But uh, Killing Eve, I, uh, mm. you know, Sandra O oh has been getting a lot of uh, well deserved attention lately for her work on this series. Um, you know, it's a, it's a kind of cat and mouse game: uh, two women, one an assassin, one an uh, sort of British intelligence analyst, uh, played by Sandra O. Oh. She's American, but she works for British intelligence. And you know, when it when it first premiered. I watched the first few episodes and, um, you know, it just didn't, it didn't, um, it didn't grab my attention fully, but, um, I didn't, I had some free time this week and I thought, you know what, maybe I'll give the third episode of that show a chance since everybody's loving it so much. And man, like once that show really clicks and I'd say it's like episode three, it clicks, it's just like nonstop, uh, from there on, it's just, the cat and mouse game between these two women, these two like really intelligent, fascinating, complex women is just such a, it's, it's such a, it's so fun. It's suspenseful. It's, um, you know, at at times it's kind of heart wrenching, you know, things happen. Um, but, uh, it's such a joy to watch the, the the two lead, uh, actors, Sandra Oh, and I think Jodie Comer is her name are phenomenal and um yeah it just builds up and up and up to um a a kind of i think just a thrilling kind of clash uh between these two women and you know it's uh i just don't see this kind of antagonist it's like their relationship is antagonistic but they also have a really deep admiration for each other so it's got it's it's really delicious the relationship dynamic between them and so yeah killing eve Check it out if you haven't already. It's it's real good. I agree. I loved that show. My wife and I devoured it and watched it in like three nights. And uh, and season two premieres, I think, in April. So I think I, so. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Christian. How about you? What's uh, what's your parting gift? Backstreet Boys' new album DNA. He's not my typical pop punk that I'm recommending. Um, the, the single. What's the Never Gonna Let You Go? Never Gonna Set Up. Set Up. Don't go breaking my heart. There you're, it is. You, uh, you're asking the wrong guy. Don't go breaking my heart. It's not. been out for a while. I've made you watch the video. That single is an earworm. The whole album is not enough for you to remember the title. <laughs> no, no, no. The song is an earworm. The titles is irrelevant. Um, mm, I see. The the album it, it's feel good uh boy band stuff like it's just you know heartbreak and heart pitter patters and we're having the time of our lives and it's just feel good fun fluffy music grammy nominated backstreet boys back back with their new album dna Some forty-five-year-old boys. Well, no, they uh, talked about this, so they're all doing interviews right now, except for Aaron, who I'll, I I will admit is uh, pretty problematic. Um, but the others have been doing a number of interviews, and you get some conflicting stuff from them, which is fun. But the the what they're saying now is like there's it, oh, backing up. I'm getting so excited because you can tell how PR planned this whole thing has to be. That there's an answer for this, right? But it's they've been asked about the boys part of it enough that they have like their canned response. It's like built in with like laughs and like let me think about that moment. Uh, but it's like you know when we started, you know that, that defined what we were. And as we got older, I, I I did feel boxed in by that, and that was frustrating. But now looking back on it, 25 years later, I think it's really cool because the term boys has evolved like we have as a band. And now it's not talking about us as being young men, but it's about like friends, your boys. And these are guys that I've spent, you know, the best part of my lives with. So these will always be my boys and we will always be 
Backstreet Boys. And then they like high five at that. Oh, it's so good. So feel good. <laughs> it's so feel good. And then they're like, and that ends this interview. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> Wrong band. Wrong I band. Don't I don't know anything. <laughs> but for real, check it out. It is great. Uh, you know, classic boy band nostalgia. This is the perfect time for it. The 90s are back, you know, early aughts and uh, Backstreet Boys DNA. I think it came out last week, but uh, give it a listen. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, we got a listener-suggested parting gift. This was sent to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This was sent by Aiden Clark. Aiden says, I'd like to recommend the art and manga of Naoki Urasawa. He is a wonderfully talented artist and author of manga like Monster, Pluto, and 20th Century Boys that combine expressive artwork and insightful writing. If you're in Los Angeles, there will be an exhibition of his work at the Japan House from January 23rd to March 28th, 2019. Your admission is free, and Urasawa himself will be giving a talk at the expedition on the day that it opens. This is the first event that has done that has he has done in North America, and an incredible opportunity to see the artwork of a master of manga. His work has had tremendous positive impact on my life, and I hope that others can have a similar experience. Very cool. Uh, thanks, Aiden. If you want your parting gift right on the show sent it in dlcfeedback at gmail.com my parting gift is something i did yesterday i spent the day uh, with a friend renting e mountain bikes electric mountain bikes which mountain is something bikes a couple... that vape <laughs> yeah these mountain bikes vape dude uh no uh they... this is something i didn't even know existed two weeks ago I knew there were e-bikes, but I didn't know there were e-mountain bikes. So the idea is this is a straight-up mountain bike that you pedal and has gears and you shift them and you go places. It's got big old tires, but it also has an electric motor that kicks in to assist you when you need. It has different levels of assist on it. This is like a $5,000 bike. Uh, We rented them for the day and went mountain biking and – Oh my God. It was so much fun. It was so much fun because we were able to do stuff. I would never have been able to do (laughs) as a infrequent mountain biker, uh, go up inclines. I could never handle go much farther and faster than I could ever do. And it's because this assist kicks in when you need it or you pop it on when you need it and you can go up crazy inclines and it feels like you're kind of on level ground. You're still pedaling. You're still powered. I'm still very sore today, but it, it, it's really fun because you can do much more extreme, um, trails and go up places that I just would never even attempt because I know I would only get halfway and just poop out. So, uh, I highly recommend it. It's if you have a bike shop in your area that rents them, I give it a shot. It is a blast. And if you're a geek and sneaks, this is a great way to get some exercise in because you're still getting exercise. It's just able to, uh, you know, help you out on the hard stuff. So highly recommend it. All right. That's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Carolyn Pettit and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L, Sean Madigan and zero star for making those cool bumpers. Thanks to all of the folks in our chat room hanging out in real time with us, making the show better. We appreciate you. Uh, And thank you to all of you who download the show. We couldn't do it without you. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.